uh, but we're going to talk about service. We're going to talk about serving. And the spiritual disciplines help us grow spiritually. Probably the, the anchor verse for that would be uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7, the second half of the verse. And 1 Timothy 4, 7 actually says, don't have anything to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Today we would say like this, conspiracy theories. You're going to waste a whole lot of time chasing the rabbit down the hole, looking for this and looking for that. And, and he says, rather, instead of doing that, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For godliness has value in everything. Think about that. The Word of God says, godliness has value in everything. And it holds promise for this life and the life to come. So we want to make sure we're focused on growing up spiritually by implementing these spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are, are things that we impose upon ourselves. No one's making you do them. We impose them upon ourselves so we can become physically, I mean spiritually fit and spiritually healthy. So they're biblical practices that we impose upon ourselves. So we've looked at a lot of things. We've looked at interdisciplines uh, like uh, prayer and fasting and Bible study and meditation. We've looked at group things like community and, and celebration. We looked at uh, one last week, an outer one, because some of the disciplines are us and God, like those interdisciplines, really developing our relationship with God. But others are outer ones. They go out to the people around us. And I want you to know this. God is seriously concerned about our sideways stuff, our horizontal relationships as well as our vertical ones. So, in fact, he says, don't tell me we've got something going on vertically if there's not something going on horizontally. So last week, we looked at that uh, topic of submission. And everybody loved it. They said, we want a six-part series on submission, Pastor, but we, we're not going to do that right now. Uh, but we are going to talk about service today. So it, it's interesting that all these things help us develop spiritually. Now, one of the reasons I got motivated about this was because I looked at a George Barna report. Now, George Barna is a well-respected uh, pollster, his company, the Barna Research Group, and they usually focus on Christian issues. He's been around for decades, very well-respected, and the numbers have actually come down. It used to be that we were doing better than we are now. It used to be that 9 out of 100 people who were professing Christians... By the way, they were attending church, they were involved in, in spiritual things. Nine out of a hundred actually had a Christian worldview. Nine out of a hundred. Now it's six out of a hundred. Now you say, what, what does that mean? A Christian worldview is, is how you view life, the lens through which you see life. Do you see it as a biblical Christian? Do you see it as a cultural Christian. There's a lot of those. I mean, people who I really believe are going to heaven, but they just, you know, kind of whatever the culture's into, we're fine with that, doesn't matter. Uh, then there's what I call secular people that, I'm not saying some of them aren't heaven-bound as well, but they just kind of live like the world, you know. They wouldn't tell any difference between you or their uh, unbelieving co-worker, classmate, neighbor, whatever, you know, very secular. But Jesus calls us to be biblical Christians to actually live this thing that we're called into doing. And I so want to convince you of this. We're not going to change the world by being like the world. We, we think to ourselves, well, if I could just be like them. Now, I want to make this clear. We're not going to win the world either by being, you know, weirdos, okay? I get, I understand that. But we are to live differently. It doesn't mean that we don't go to the same restaurants or we enjoy taking our kids to Little League. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying there's something different about how we live what we believe, how we see the world, and that's a Christian worldview. And that's what 
the spiritual disciplines help us develop that. Now, to determine a, a Christian worldview, there's particular criteria that people would look at to see, do I have a Christian worldview when they did this poll? So I want to show you some of those. Uh, these are biblical worldview truth beliefs. And by the way, this is these things that we're going to look at real quickly here. They're not fringe things that we argue about. There's nothing on the list that they use that said, unless you believe what we believe about what the pale horse and revelation stands for, then you're not a real Christian or you don't have a Christian worldview. This is just solid stuff that Christians across the board are to believe and what the Bible clearly teaches. The first one is absolute moral truth exists. That bumps off a lot of people. Absolute moral truth exists. Because, well, you know, is it really truth? It's crazy stuff we say. You ever hear this? Well, that's your truth, but my truth is. That can't be. That's just, that's ridiculous. Truth is truth. Truth isn't, isn't fluid. It doesn't change. Truth is truth. Either what you believe is correct, and what I believe is wrong, or what you believe is wrong, and what I believe is correct, or we're both wrong, but we're not both correct if we believe something different. So absolute moral truth exists. The Bible is totally accurate in all the principles it teaches. It does say principles it teaches because people want to argue about, well, this one translation says Solomon had so many horses, and this one said he had so many horses, and I'm not sure how many horses were there. That's not a principle from God. It doesn't matter. Uh, it really doesn't. But the principles of the Word of God are true. They are accurate. Satan is a real being, a force, not merely symbolic. Man, I was on a um, uh, lay witness retreat, what they were called, where it was before I ever pastored, and, and Methodist denominations used to do those. Maybe they still do. So they call in people, and, and they have meetings throughout the weekend, and, and everybody gets to share a little bit. And so they asked, everybody on the team shares something. So I just shared a little thing. They said, Tracy, share something quickly, and it's just kind of a, a just a mini five-minute thing. And so I said, one thing that's really been on my heart is how, how real Satan is and how he really, we really do have an enemy of our soul who wants to destroy. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And so I just shared that a little bit. I thought that was pretty safe. And then afterwards, somebody came to me and said, oh, my gosh, I've got to talk to you. I said, our pastor just did a whole message on how Satan's not even real. He's just a, he's, he's symbolic. He's just a, something made up. And I went, I bet he's happy with me, you know, as I got up there and said, you know, this is what's on my heart. So uh, that gets taught that Satan's not real, but the Bible says he is. Another thing, a person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or by doing good. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth, died and rose again. These are just basic things clearly in Scripture. They're not, you know, among those who say, I believe the Christian doctrines, these, these aren't gray areas. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, that's really tough on a lot of people, and I get that, because if you're like me, you've met a lot of people who aren't Christians who are just good, wonderful people. But my argument is you've got to get after Jesus, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. I'm the only way to heaven. So uh, C.S. Lewis first said, and the Josh McDowell said it, and I still believe it's true, Jesus is either who he said he is, or he's a liar and a fake and a charlatan. You don't get... Again, if I got up here today and said... I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me, Tracy. You wouldn't say, oh, he's a good man. He's a good, good minister, a good, good prophet, a good... No, you would say, uh, we need to remove Tracy from a ministry because he believes he's the, the Savior of the world. Jesus was either who he said he was or he was a liar. So we look on here. Here's some other things. Uh, God is all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Those are, those are 
biblical truths. Now, if you said yes to all those, you had a Christian worldview. If you said yes to less than all of them, then you don't have a Christian worldview. That's how they determined the only six out of 100 people who are Christians. By the way, they, they polled people who were actively involved in church, attending church regularly. It wasn't just somebody who said, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian because I'm not an atheist. No, it was people who were actually going to church. So I, I wanted to see if we could implement Christian spiritual disciplines, especially Bible study and meditation, where you ponder and meditate and chew on and think about the Word of God, we could change the way we see the world, and the way we see the world would change what we do for the world. Because I can tell you this right now, if Jesus is only one way to heaven, then I have no concern about sharing Christ with you. I have no concern about sharing Christ with you. Because he's just, you know, he's one, whatever way you have is fine, you know, all roads lead to heaven, all's okay. Uh, but Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to every creature. It doesn't even make any sense to do that if there's no, if we're all just going in our own way. So these are very important Christian doctrines and principles. I was fascinated by a little book a few years ago because of the title. I love great titles. And the book was not disappointing. It was an excellent book. It was by Craig Grishel, and it was titled The Christian Atheist. Now, is that not a cool title or what? The Christian Atheist. So it got my attention right there. So I pulled it off the shelf, looked at it, and it said it had a subtitle, Believing in God, but Living as if He Doesn't Exist. Then he started looking at his own life, and he said, well, I'm pastoring a church, and I wanted to grow the church and build the church, but am I really doing it and building it as a Christian who believes the Word of God? Or am I just building a church and expanding the kingdom in the way that anybody would expand their business? And so he went, hmm. And so he started looking. He said, you know, I think I do it more like a business. I've not really believed in the power of prayer like I should. This totally transformed his life. And so he began to be a person of prayer. Hold it. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Not my great techniques. The Holy Spirit empowers us. So he started believing God for that. And then he started thinking about, wow, you know what? It's not my fancy techniques. It's the, the gospel has power. I, we can't forget that. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It has power to it. So let's start living like we're Christians. But not just him, but other people just live like the world. But if we're believers, why don't we live like God really exists? Every week we do a Facebook Live. Hi to all those who are on Facebook Live. And um, we get these little these little emails from whatever it says hey you know boost your post you know uh, get a bigger audience very few dollars you can you can connect to more people and I'm not opposed to that but we just never do it and for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks we get those over and over and over and over again had dozens of them if not a hundred of them well this week I got one that said boost your post advertise but read our anti-discriminatory laws so I thought that's odd now I do want to say I mean this Honestly, it could just be a fluke. It could just been, I really mean that, a coincidence. But I thought, so I'm reading through all that, and I thought, I don't think I discriminate against anything. It seems odd that that came across. I've never seen it before. And then I thought, hmm. I did say one thing that the culture may not like. I said, if you're living like you're married, you should be married. It's like, oh. And I don't know if that flags something like, we got a radical here. We got a crazy person. We got a person who's discriminating. We got a person who's hate filled. We got a whatever. It's just the truth, and I want to tell the truth. Um, but by the way, I do want you to know, if you don't know this or you think this is a conspiracy theory, I'm like the non conspiracy theory guy. 
I make conspiracy theorists mad at me because they, they get excited about something. I just go, ah, you know, can't get excited about it. But you're being tracked all the time. You're being tracked all the time. We're listening to every word you say. No, we're not. I'm just kidding. But, but other places really pay attention to everything. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's true. You even notice that you get little things like we have cookies and we like to do this and this and this and what will you allow us to install. And um, so tracking everything. Well, a couple of years ago I saw this. I was looking at, for a watch. And I looked at very two specific watches. And the next day on Facebook, I didn't just have an ad for watches. I had an ad for those two specific watches. I said, no, that's not a coincidence. Those two exact specific watches. And so everything we do say and do, somebody came to me once and said, you know, I really hate to do that because I don't want people to know my information. I said, trust me, anyone who wants your information has it. You know, it, it's out there unless you're totally off the grid and up in the mountains somewhere. So I don't know if they saw that and thought, wow, we need to let this guy know this. But I do want you to know there's been people here who came and they lived together and they weren't married and and they'll tell you I treat them with love, respect, and courtesy. And I think one particular couple in my mind later, they got married. And, and they would tell you I respected them and loved them and cared for them. I just don't think it's hateful to tell you the truth. If the bridge is out ahead, no matter how much your favorite road is, I want you to know that. But I love this road. I love the scenic view. Yes, but you're going to plunge off a bridge to your death. Okay, well, I'll take another route. You want to tell the truth to people. And the Bible says we should tell the truth in love. And the Bible says that when we share the truth, we should do it in such a way that it's gentle and it's compassionate, but we should tell the truth. So my motivation is, let's learn these spiritual disciplines. Let's study, let's grow, let's mature, let's be different, let's go after God. And so today we're going to tackle service, service or volunteerism, service or volunteerism. Now, there's this incredible example that's a goldmine of information. One verse in this could be a sermon series, easy. And so if you, if, you, if you tend to fade out like right now around in the service or daydream, come back, come back in. So, some of you I can tell when you do because I watch you watch the ceiling fan go around like this. And I go, okay, I've, I've lost them, I've lost them. And some of the others are easy because you look like this. And so I know, okay, I've lost them too. But I never want to interrupt a good nap because I love naps. So, you know, just I'm glad I could help you out there. So... It's the people that fall asleep when I'm preaching who never want me to end. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you're being driven home. You ever remember that? And you fall into a deep sleep and you don't want to ever get home. It's, and you hear the car stop and dad and mom open the doors. You go, no, i got to get out of here. So those who are snoozing, they're going, keep going, brother. I'm having the best sleep of my life. So anyway, <laughs> this is great. Jesus shows us an incredible example and then a wonderful teaching. So I want to set up the story before we get there. Um, in Jesus' day, I think you all know this, there were dusty, dirty roads, and they wore sandals. So the wearing of sandals and dusty, dirty roads and whatever else may be on the road that they're walking in and walking through, that it mandated that people would wash their feet. So when you got to a gathering, there would be someone to wash feet. Now, you didn't want to wash feet because it was murder to your social status, okay? Because we want to be up here, we don't want to be down there. And these disciples, they've gathered for a gathering. And I kind of guess that the disciples wouldn't have minded washing Jesus' feet because, you know, he's the master and all that. That probably would have been honorable. But they weren't going to wash each other's feet because they were just peers. They were just equals in their minds. Well, actually, they weren't even equals in their minds. Luke tells us they were arguing over who was the greatest. Now, can you think about that? Who's the greatest? 
What a great argument. Who's the greatest? I think I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And so they're arguing over who's the greatest. So when you're arguing over who's the greatest, you don't want to wash feet because it was designed for the lowliest person. So from what I've studied, when you, when you went to a place and there was a meeting, like the disciples had gathered and what we're going to go to now, uh, if there wasn't a servant to wash someone's feet, then you look for the youngest person in the room who was capable to do the job. You didn't assign it to a toddler, but somebody who's young in the room who could do it. However, if there's a young person in the room who is the son of a prominent dignitary in the community, they get a bypass because they're, they're elevated. You see this social status thing going on here? And so now we're going to look, okay, they can't do it because they're, you know, they, they got, you know, rich parents or prominent parents. So you start looking around. Now think about what's happening here. If there's no servant, you're literally scanning the room. Who is the most insignificant person here? Can you think about that? Who's the most insignificant person here? I want to find them because I want to need my feet washed. And so the disciples, they're not going to wash each other's feet because they're not going to say who's most insignificant because they've been arguing over who's the greatest. So that attitude prevents them from stooping to wash feet. So let's pick up on the story now with that backstory, John 13, 3 through 5, and then 13 through 17. Verse 3 is a gold mine. Jesus, what's the next word? Knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the Father had put, what? All things under his power. Think about this. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. Now, did we see that in Jesus' life? Yes, we did. He had power over the natural elements. The winds and the waves. He says, peace be still. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. He had power and authority over even the natural elements of planet Earth. He cursed a fig tree and it withered. He had power over the physical realm. The Bible says he healed every manner of sickness. Any type of sickness that was on planet Earth that day, that was among the people, he healed every manner, every manner of sickness. The Bible says he went about doing good, healing all, so he, he healed everyone. He had authority, oh, oh, also he raised the dead on multiple occasions, so we see he had power over physical things. He caused limbs to straighten, legs that never worked to work, eyes that never seemed to see. He had total power over the physical dimension. They also had power over the spiritual dimension because we see him casting out demons, taking care of spiritual problems. Again, Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. And so he's exercised authority in his life, and he knows this, all power is under his charge. All power. And then the next thing is, it says he knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. So think about this. Jesus knew where he was from, knew who he was, and knew where he was going. Th that's worth the price of admission right there. Where'd you come from? Who are you? Where are you going? Settle those things. Now, he had that settled. So, the so is a connection here. Since he knows where he came from, he knows who he is, and he knows where he's going, he can do what he's getting ready to do. It says, so, he got up from the meal. Now think about this. Everybody's sitting around, and they're going, who's going to wash feet, man? I, I thought this person ought to, and that person ought to. And so, you know, they're saying, you know, feet are a little dirty and dusty, and what else? And I wish we had someone to wash feet. So knowing this, Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer garment, 
and he wrapped a towel around himself. So he puts this towel around him. He's getting ready to do the unthinkable. He wraps the towel around himself, and he fills up a basin, and he stoops, he kneels, and washes their feet, and then dries them with the towel that's around him. Wow. Who's the most powerful person in the room? Jesus. Who's the most powerful person on planet Earth? Who's the most powerful person in the universe? Exactly. Just like we taught you in, in, in Sunday school, if you answer Jesus, you'll be right 90% of the time. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the most powerful person. He's washing their feet. He's, he's drying them with the towel. Him and Peter have a little dispute there, which is not my topic for the day, but it's worth to read. And how could he do that? How could the most powerful person stoop? How could the most powerful person bring themselves low? I'll tell you why. And this is what it'll take for you to do it. He knew where he was from, he knew who he was, and he knew where he was going. If you'll ever settle where you're from, who you are, and where you're going from the perspective of Jesus, you'll be able to humble yourself. Because when you don't have that settled, you've got to fight for power. You've got to fight for position. You've got to fight for, well, well, I'm supposed to be in charge here. If you've ever worked at a place of business and you've given somebody a menial job, especially if it's union-controlled, and I'm not beating up the unions, I just know how union shops work, somebody may tell you this, that's not my job assignment. And if you would actually tell them to go do it anyway, you would get a grievance filed against you. That's not my job. That's not my assignment. And so once we got it all settled, we can do it. We can pick up the mop, we can pick up the basin, we can pick up the towel, we can do whatever we want because we're secure. Then we drop down to 13. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. It's my belief that this is not to perpetuate foot washing forever, although if you've been to foot washing service, they're wonderful, they're humbling, they're spiritual. I don't have a problem with foot washing services. But that was a real need in that day, and it fit the story. It fit, the, it fit the, the circumstance there. I believe what he's saying is, you need to be willing in humility and love to do the lowliest task to serve one another. That's what he was saying, to keep that attitude and keep that spirit. He says, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the master greater than the one who sent him. So what he's saying is, you all have not eclipsed me. You have seen me, the most powerful person in the world, the most powerful person on the planet in the universe, wash your feet. So since you have risen above me, then you should be able to do that too. Now that you know these things, now, now here's how we read so much of the scripture, which, which really hurts us. We read it like this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, period. But that's not what it says. See, we say, well, I'll, I'll be blessed. Well, God's going to bless me financially. Well, it says, given it shall be given unto you. Well, I want to skip the give part, but I want the shall be given unto you. Uh, know the word, and you'll be blessed in all your deeds. Well, it says, he who knows the word and does the word. And here Jesus is saying, now that you know these things, you will be blessed. What's the next word? If. Is that not like a huge word for two, two letters? If. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if what? You do them. You will be blessed if you do them. 
Every spiritual discipline has connected to it a powerful promise. Go to your closet and pray. God will reward you. Fast. God will reward you. Give, it shall be given unto you. Meditate on the scripture and you'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Bears fruit in its season. Your leaf will never wither and everything you do shall prosper. God, God has connections to all this. Isaiah talks about the power of fasting. Your I love this. Your darkness will be like the noonday sun. Now, isn't that a great promise? Your darkest moment is going to be like the noonday sun. You're going to be like a well-watered garden, like a spring who never fails. God will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You can look around. You can look around and say, there's nothing here but barrenness, and God will prosper you and bless you. Why? Because it's God. Who was it my mind went to? Was it Isaac? Isaac sowed in famine. Was it Isaac? Help me. You guys don't know either? Okay, I'll just say Isaac then. Isaac sowed in famine in the Old Testament, and he received a hundredfold return. Why? Because God will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will provide for you. You'll be blessed if you do these. Well, studying meditation, the spiritual disciplines, helps us learn these things and do these things. The word of God over and over and over says, Jesus said, a sower sows the word. The word gets in your heart. Satan wants to come and steal it. Don't let him steal it. Make sure you're good soil. If you hear the word and retain the word and do the word, you'll be blessed. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. All of it's good. All, think about that. Some 30 times, 60 times, or 100 times. What would you think if, you're, if you have a financial planner who called you up and said, I've just been looking over your finances and I'd like to tell you, you had a really bad year. You only got a 30% return on your investment. Okay, well, I'll take that. 30, 60, 100 fold. Okay, I want you to see this again. Spiritual power flows from knowing who we are in Jesus. I want you to know this. You are empowered. Satan's not going to tell you that. I'll tell you that because Jesus will tell you that. You are empowered. You are empowered. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us who believe. At work in us and at work for us who believe. The Bible says that we ought to be doing some things where people look at us and say, how are they doing that? And what we're showing the world is that we're just earthen vessels or jars of clay, but this all-surpassing power is from God. So you keep looking about this. You will receive the Holy Spirit. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Power. You are empowered by God. Jesus has been raised up above every power, and you've been raised up with him, according to Ephesians. You've been raised up with him, seated high above all rural power dominion. It's power. I want you to know you're empowered. Now, Satan will not tell you that. Your friends will not tell you that, unless they're believers. But I'm telling you, you're empowered. Now, know where you've come from. Now, this is an interesting thing. Know where you come from, because I'll settle it for you. I came to know the Lord as a little kid. And by the way, I want to say this. I did more than enough knucklehead and sinful, stupid stuff. I get that. But some of you really went all out for Satan for years, for decades. You were pros. You were professionals. You were all in, man. You, you went for it. And you might have done that for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, all out for Satan. I give my heart to the Lord as a little kid, get passionate after God about seventh grade. I realized, hey, this Jesus thing ought to be day in, day out, not just Sunday morning. Again... I, I want you to know I did more than enough wrong stuff. But me, or if you spent 50 years chasing after Satan and doing everything he wanted you to do, we both need to settle our past. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were without God and without hope. The blood of Jesus, the mercy of God, 
the grace of God, the power of God brought us near. Not our good deeds, not our good works. So you could on one side say, I'm a really good person. I want you to know this. No, you're not. We need Jesus. And then you say, well, I'm a really bad person. I'm not, I, I can't even be rescued. That's not true. Jesus is able. <laughs> Jesus is able. And there's testimonies of it all inside this room. Of Jesus will reach down, grab us, he'll stoop down, and he'll wash our feet and lift us up. He'll stoop down. We got a savior who'll stoop down. Woo, man, we got a savior. That's, that's just good news. Because all of us got stooped down for. He'll reach down. He'll, he'll take a hold of us. Jesus did that. So what I have to do, and you have to do, is I got to settle my past. Now, again, if you live for Lucifer for 50 years, you may say, man, I got all these regrets, all these, these bad memories. I got all this. That. You got to deal with it. I, I want to say this. You have to deal with it. Now, will it be harder? Maybe, maybe you'll have more stuff to deal with? Okay. But in one fell swoop, Jesus dealt with it. In one fell swoop, he said this, that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, so you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. For if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Once you listen to this, they are a new creation. Are we going to be Christian atheists who say we believe in God but live like we don't? Or are we going to be Christian Christians? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. In fact, you're going to get to heaven one day. God's already assigned you a new name. A new name. Now, honestly, I don't really mind my name. But, like, if I drive up someplace and say, I'm here to pick up something for Tracy McIntyre, they'll say, is, is she in the car with you? And I'll say, yes, she is. Uh, so, so now I've trained myself to say, I'm serious, I've trained myself to say, I'm Tracy McIntyre. I'm here to pick something up. When I've just been in correspondence with people, and they call, and I say, hello. They say, is Tracy there? This is, Tra this is Tracy? Wow, you got a deep voice for a woman. Okay, not a woman. So the good news is this. I got a new name. I don't know what it is, but me and the boy named Sue have a new name. We're going to get to heaven. He's given us a new name. You've been so radically changed by God that you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. He remembers it no more. He's cast in the sea of forgetfulness. Blessed is the one whom God does not count as sins against him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says that we've been called out of darkness. We, we, are, we are royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're people who belong to God. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might declare the praises of him who did such a thing. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so we can deal with our past faster if we just say, I'm just going to throw it all in a pile. Now, I want you to think about this. If you've had a shed or a garage or something that's just all piled with junk, we used to call this a burn pile. And so we'd take it all. So I'm not encouraging you, deal with what you did in third grade, then next year deal with what you did in sixth grade. Deal, just, just take it all out to a burn pile and just pile it up and burn it. It's gone. You're free. One fell swoop, free. So now, will the devil come back and whisper in your ear? Well, well, you think you're a Christian and in sixth grade. All you got to say is, the dude in sixth grade, dead. Dead. Not alive anymore. Well, when you were 25, you didn't. No, that dude's dead. That guy, that gal's dead. They've been, they've been crucified with Christ. They no longer live. 
The life I do live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so we have to get this vision of who we are in Christ. We've got to deal with our past. Then we need to know where we're going. Where are we going? We're, we're going to be with the Lord forever. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, the more we fall in love with him, I think the more we get excited. I know you're saying, am I ever going to be excited about actually going to be with the Lord? I believe you can be. The Apostle Paul said, hey guys, I'm writing this letter, and i got two options here. One is, I'm going to be beheaded. He does not say, please pray for me that I won't be beheaded. He says, one option is I'm going to be beheaded, which is the option I'd like to take because to be absent from the bodies, to be dead, to be dead in the bodies, to be alive with the Lord, which is far better. So my desire is, lop my head off, let me go be with Jesus. Option number two is, if they don't kill me, then I'm going to hang out with you and I'm going to mentor you and I'm going to train you and I'm going to help you be everything you can be for Jesus. But personally, I'd just soon go be with the Lord. So what happened? He knew where he was going. And so he wasn't holding on to this world, you know, clawing after this world. He knew where he was going. When we know we're empowered by Jesus, we deal with where we've come from, we know where we're going, we'll have the fortitude, the strength, the power, the security, probably a good word, the security to serve one another. Let's look at this other passage. Backstory of this passage. James and John's mom just came to have a talk with Jesus. So James and John's mom said, hey, Jesus, can I have a private conversation with you? So they sneak over to a corner, and he, she says, okay, he said, I know you got great things going on, and I know you're the king, and I, just, I have a question for you. I want to ask something of you. When you come fully into your kingdom... I want one of my sons to sit on your right hand and one to sit on your left, okay? Now, I'm not asking them to eclipse you. I'm just saying one on the right, one on the left. I want them to be your second and third guy in your kingdom. And so Jesus says, that's not mine to give. They have a little conversation. When he's done, this is the way I see the situation. Jesus said, okay, boys, gather up. We got some more work to do. Come on. Come in here. Gather around. Also, it says the other disciples were indignant that his, their mama would ask. You know why they were mad? Because their mama didn't ask first. They were saying, oh, man, that's a great opportunity. Why didn't my mama come and ask that I would be number one in the kingdom? So Jesus gathers them up, and he says, look. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jews, the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. So the rulers of the Gentiles, they come like this, and they say, hey, we're, we're in rulership. We're in charge here. You all ain't nothing. We're in charge. The rulers of the Gentile lord over them, and then the high officials lord over the rulers. So they're saying, "Then you all ain't nothing. We're everything. Everybody's playing king of the mountain. You know, everybody's, everybody's going to be in charge. Everybody's going to be the most powerful, the most prestigious. And then it says, not so with you. Not so with you. Don't play that game. I'm not in that game. We know Jesus is in the game because we just read about him washing people's feet. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And other translations or other gospels, that I'm sure Jesus probably said it both ways, if you want to be first, then you should be what? Last. And so he's setting up, here's how my kingdom works. Now, to the world, our kingdom's upside down. To Jesus... Our kingdom's right side up. The world's upside down. 
In fact, some of the best breakthroughs has probably been, been done in um, business, moving business forward, as when they've discovered spiritual principles and then used them in the business world. There's been a whole movement last probably 10, 15 years called servant leadership. Well, you didn't hear that before, but Jesus taught that, servant leadership. And so when the world catches something that's got spiritual power to it and they, they preach it or share it, it does have power to it. And so he said, our world, actually our believing world, is right side up. Then he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he's saying, we need to be like him. We need to be servants. We need to be willing to humble ourselves, stoop low, to get the basin and get the towel and do what needs to be done. And Jesus at another point tells people, don't go to the head of the table. You keep going to the head of the table because you want to be impressed. But he said, what will end up happening is you end up getting humbled. You come to a banquet, you see the head table, and you think, I'm going I'm to move my way up towards the front. So you get up towards the front and you go, yeah, everybody will think I'm somebody now. Until the master of the ceremony says, hey, Bob, back there in the back, uh, come on up here. What are you doing back there, Bob? Come take this guy's seat. What's your name again? Yeah, okay, Joe, come. Joe, scooch back there towards the back. Bob, come on up here. What just happened? You try to promote yourself, and you just got humiliated in front of everybody. And the guy who was humble and said, I'll just go to the back, got brought to the front. That's the teaching of Jesus. The humble, you know, if you're humble, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. So this is this week's mission. I want you to anchor yourself in Jesus. Know who you are in him. Anchor yourself in Jesus. Just those things we were talking about earlier. Discover an area of service to be involved in. I encourage everybody to be serving somewhere. In fact, I've said over the years, it doesn't even have to be here. We need to be serving somewhere. Somebody comes to me and says, I'm serving at Clarity. Or I'm serving at Salvation Army. Or I'm serving at, at Love Chapel. I say, cool, we need to be serving somewhere. It's, it's part of our spiritual disciplines to serve. So we need to serve. So discover an area of service to be involved in. And then the third thing is let your desire be known. 